Hey guys, I'd like to introduce you to a new podcast that I know you're going to love. Do you like travel? Do you like picturesque locations and getting away from it all? Well, this new podcast has all that and murder. It's called Slaycation, and it's a darkly humorous look at murders and mysterious deaths that took place on vacation. Hosted by a true crime fanatic, her comedy writer husband and his TV producing partner, Slaycation brings a unique perspective to chilling, thrilling, and WTF stories of vacations gone horribly wrong. From the twisted tale of Harold and Tony Henthorne, whose romantic anniversary in the Rocky Mountains ended with one of them falling off a cliff, to Angelica and Vincent, two recently engaged lovebirds whose Hudson Valley kayaking adventure ended underwater. Each episode of Slaycation will have you asking, accident or murder? But it's not just the stories that'll intrigue you. It's the discussion between a longtime married couple and business partners who happen to be Emmy-nominated TV producers. Each episode of Slaycation also includes humor, takeaway and travel tips that will keep your next vacation from being your last. If you're ready to pack your body bags, Slaycation is available on all major podcast platforms. Search for Slaycation on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Yo tengo casi 33 años de ser de ser forense. Nunca había visto una una escena así. In spring 2021, reporter Brian Avelar launched an investigation that began in the depths of a grave dug by a serial killer and ended with the government forcing him and other journalists to flee El Salvador. Sonoro and Revista Factum present Humo, Murder and Silence in El Salvador. The story behind a country where the truth and its citizens' rights are buried under the weight of power. Señor Ministro, ¿Dónde está Karen y Eduardo Guerrero? ¿Dónde están mis hijos? Listen to Humo, Murder and Silence in El Salvador, wherever you get your podcasts. Montana, the fourth largest state by area, is where the deer, antelope, and elk roam and also outnumber the amount of people. But despite its relatively small population, the big sky country is riddled with unsettling crimes and disturbing mysteries that have yet to be solved. Welcome guys to this Patreon-only patrons episode. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We have a funky one. Here are five unsolved mysteries from Montana. Number five, Randall Church. Bozeman, a quiet little town in southern Montana, would have been touted as one of the few places in the U.S. with zero unsolved murders. Unfortunately, this became impossible with the untimely death of one of its inhabitants, Randall Church. It happened on the cold, snowy day of February 10, 1985. Randy, as he was lovingly called at the time, was an engineering student at Montana State University. He was a solid kid, someone who tried hard, and he took on about 15 hours of work per week at a local pizza hut to try and make ends meet while he was studying. That night, he was closing up shop at the restaurant located on West Main Street. The 23-year-old was alone from about 9.30 p.m. onward. 
At some point during the night, it's believed that there was a knock at the back door, and being unable to see who was there, Randy opened it, thinking it may be some friends who came to say hi, or even another employee. Instead, though, Church was shot execution style. He took two bullets to the back of the head as confirmed by the autopsy report. His body would be discovered the next morning by an employee coming in to open up shop. To their horror, they found young Randy on the floor. It appeared to have been a robbery gone wrong as $1,000 in cash had been taken from the register. But the perpetrator may have also just killed Randy for no reason at all. Randy wasn't the type to put his life on the line for his Pizza Hut job, and he was a soft-spoken, sensitive guy as described by his siblings. He had no defensive wounds, so there was no fight at all. Randy just opened the door to the wrong person or people on the wrong night. And it's possible the perpetrator even just killed him, so there would be no witnesses. There were a couple of suspects, but... They almost were just thrown into the mix to make it seem like the cops were onto something. But the most prevailing thought as to who was responsible was a pair of New Mexico escapees who were making their way to Canada. 53-year-old Ray Shriver had been in jail serving 20 years for kidnapping and robbery. 37-year-old Mark St. Clair was serving 30 years for murder. And the two had stolen an 83 Mazda in Colorado headed for Saskatchewan. It was found out that the duo had crossed the border just the day after Randy had been killed. These two men were apprehended on February 21st up in Canada, and in their vehicle there was a map that had a line drawn from Colorado all the way up to Saskatchewan. And right along their route, they traveled through Bozeman. Fingerprints of the men were compared to those at the crime scene and that information was never released to the public as to whether it was a match or not. The entire tracks in the snow appeared to have matched the Mazda. Witnesses also saw men fitting their description, at least in the area, and footprints in the snow were said to have matched up to the shoes that these men were wearing, according to Detective Ron Green. However, they were just sent back to New Mexico in order to ride out their original sentences. There was still no murder weapon, confession, or eyewitnesses to the killing itself, so there would need to be more work done. Shriver and St. Clair both passed away behind bars due to natural causes, and so it's likely this case will never be solved, even though it perhaps can be. Hopefully with new DNA testing... A simple sample can put an end to Bozeman's only unsolved murder and give some semblance of peace to Randy's family. Number 4. Darlene Wilcock Kalispell is a city known as the Gateway into the Glacier National Park. Located in northwest Montana, the town has an average of just 0.4 homicides per year. But at one point in its history, the city was shaken to its core with news of a brutal murder. On April 17, 2003, a woman named Darlene Wilcox said goodbye to her sister at their home in Kalispell. The 26-year-old didn't say whom she was meeting that night, but... Early the next morning, she was found in room 233 of a Motel 6, naked and strangled to death. 
The ensuing investigation came up with some disturbing findings. As it turned out, before she wound up at the motel, she was seen exiting the finish line bar where security footage showed her walking out with two men. One of them was her ex-fiance and the other her ex-roommate, whom she never got along with. Weirdly enough, though, another set of videos taken at the motel showed the victim checking in alone later that night. Both these men, who have never been named publicly, were at one point considered primary persons of interest in the case, and for good reason. And yet, they remain free to this day. Wilcox's ex-fiance was a truck driver by profession, and he was supposed to be out of town on the night of the murder. When questioned, that's what he told police, but once presented with the video footage at the bar, he admitted that he had secretly gone to Calispo, claiming he only lied because he didn't want to get in trouble with his employer. Aside from the lie, another incriminating circumstance surfaced when it was discovered that prior to the murder, he convinced Wilcox to sign a pair of $250,000 life insurance policies in which he was to be the primary beneficiary. And yet, the case against him couldn't be established since his DNA was absent from the crime scene. But the former roommate's DNA wasn't. It was there. The problem is other men's DNA was also found, and so without a smoking gun or murder weapon, this case just can't be solved. Over time, new detectives have opened the case to try and find new angles, but for two decades, prosecutors have been unable to build a strong case that could indict both or either of them in the murder. Chances are one or both of them are responsible for the crime, frap sharing the life insurance money, maybe with a few other guys who were in on it as well. But officially, with the way our justice system works today, both men are free and the case still remains open. Number three, disappearance of Nyleen Marshall. There aren't many things as terrifying as child abductions such incidents bring lasting trauma to loved ones and communities alike. To make things worse, sometimes the perpetrators like to taunt families, which is about as sadistic as it gets, and that's exactly what happened in this story. This is the abduction case of Nyleen K. Marshall. This all began on June 25th of 1983 when the four-year-old girl attended a picnic with her parents at a campground in Helena National Forest Park in Montana. Around four in the afternoon that day, the child was playing with other kids along the banks of a shallow creek. Some of them noticed that she was talking to an unidentified man seen wearing a purple jogging suit. In the later statements of the witnesses, the stranger allegedly tried to get her to play a game called Follow the Shadow. The other children, however, didn't know what that meant. This man in purple would be the last person to be seen with Marshall before she vanished. When the kids returned to their parents without Nyleen, everyone jumped into action once they noticed the little girl missing. Most of all the adults began searching for the girl in the immediate area while others called the Jefferson County Sheriff's Office to report the case. 
police in turn alerted the Lewis and Clark County Search and Rescue, who then dispatched a team to the scene. For 10 days, searchers, comprised of professionals and volunteers, scoured the area and the nearby Elkhorn Mountains, but the efforts yielded nothing. Authorities, meanwhile, couldn't find evidence to determine what had happened to the girl, although they were fairly convinced that she had been abducted. That's how it stayed for two years. Nyleen's parents and other family members were distraught and helpless over the fact that they thought their little girl was safe on a fun day out, when in fact she wasn't. And then, on November 27, 1985, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children received an anonymous tip from a man who claimed to have abducted Marshall. A few months after that, another organization got a letter from the same person, and in both instances, he said that he was now raising the girl as his own and had renamed her Kay. The letter brought out some other very unnerving revelations as well. The writer said that he loved the child and had no plans of returning her. And while he claimed that he was taking care of the victim, he also mentioned things which investigators believed to be a sign that he was sexually abusing the child. The identity of the anonymous caller and writer remains unknown to this day, but they are believed to have been authentic. The sender and the caller, whom they thought to be one person, continued to make his or her presence known. All the calls and the letters were said to have come from Madison, Wisconsin. A trace was made, but in the end, it led nowhere for investigators. In 1990, Marshall's case was featured on the show Unsolved Mysteries. After the segment, police received a tip from a viewer who thought the girl may have been one of his classmates in Bellingham, Washington. A follow-up was made, but instead of finding the Montana kid... Authorities recovered another girl named Monica Bonilla, and she had gone missing in 1982 from her home in California, having been kidnapped by her non-custodial father. In 2017, the Jefferson County Sheriff's Office admitted in a statement that they still had no substantial leads that could help them solve the case. And so, Nyleen Marshall's story still remains a mystery today. Number 2. Murder of Almeida Crane On the evening of September 29th of 1981, a woman called the attention of a parking attendant about a body abandoned in the lot. The Billings Police Department was called in, and when they arrived, detectives found the victim. She was naked and had been shot to death in stall number 164. And later, she was identified as 24-year-old Almeida Crane. The woman had been raped, and her clothes found discarded nearby, and she had been shot once in the back of the head. A thorough inspection was made on the garage, and empty 25 caliber casings were found in the stairwell. Interviews were also conducted on a number of people in the vicinity at the time, but no substantial information was gathered. Investigation continued and new findings led authorities to suspect that the mother of three could have been murdered elsewhere and that her body was dumped later at that parking lot. There have been a lot of theories surrounding the incident. One of these involved Crane's boyfriend at the time. 
Statements from the family reveal that the man was overly possessive, aggressive, and overbearing. He was interviewed many times, but was eventually cleared of any suspicion. And then came the angle of a feud inside the family. Apparently, Leo Mascarena, Crane's common-law husband, was in prison when the incident happened. And he had been jailed for killing his own brother, who had raped Almeida while she was unconscious. And their children bore witness to this entire assault. Following his imprisonment, Mascarena told their kids that it was actually their mother who pulled the gun on a rapist and that he only agreed to take the fall. Meanwhile, the mother started to drink heavily and neglected her duties to her family. This forced the community to place the young ones in foster care. So, many believe that Crane was murdered out of revenge for this, and possibly by one of her cousins. In total, there have been more than 10 possible suspects to the crime, but none of them have been arrested. As of now, Crane's family is pushing authorities to conduct DNA testing on the seminal fluid recovered from the crime scene, and they're hoping that this could help in identifying the man who violated their mother. Number 1. Vanishing of Father John Kerrigan In August of 1982, a man called the Rectory of St. Francis in Santa Fe, New Mexico, asking for a priest to offer last rites to his dying grandfather. The duty was received by Father Reynaldo Rivera, who agreed to meet the man halfway to their destination. Three days later, Father Rivera was found dead. He had been shot to death. A year and a half after that, another priest by the name of Father John Kerrigan was settling down in his new parish at the Sacred Heart Catholic Church in Ronan, south of Polson, Montana. It was a summer night of July 20th, 1984, when Kerrigan left a local bakery after having bought some bread. After that, he was never seen or heard from again. A day after his reported disappearance, bloody garments were found abandoned on Highway 35, which is along the eastern shore of Flathead Lake, just north of Polson. And a week later, his car was found on the side of the road, and the interior was stained with blood. Upon inspection, authorities also discovered a bloody shovel in the trunk. They found Kerrigan's wallet with its contents of more than $1,000 still intact. This led investigators to rule out robbery as the main motive. It appeared in this case someone wanted to only kill Father Kerrigan. However, after almost 40 years, police have yet to find the person responsible or even the body of Kerrigan. Some shocking revelations and intriguing details gradually trickled in as the investigation continued. It was discovered that Kerrigan had actually spent time in New Mexico in an area where Rivera was murdered. And this information led detectives to look into the possible link between the two cases. As the theory goes, both priests may have been victims of a serial murderer who was targeting Catholic priests. It so happened that Kerrigan and Rivera were members of the same Catholic order, the Order of the Franciscans. Despite the glaring circumstances, Investigators were unable to establish the connection between the disappearance, though, and the slaying. 
Years later, it was divulged that Kerrigan's name was actually included in a long list of Montana priests who were accused of child molestation. Many believe that these allegations may have had something to do with Kerrigan's relocation in the first place. And prior to his latest assignment, he had been transferred to New Mexico before ending up in Ronan. They literally sent him all around the country in hopes that he wouldn't be found. The latest development of this story was pointed out in a podcast wherein it was theorized that the missing priest may have staged the crime scene and faked his own death. It also claimed the possibility that his diocese may have had a hand to play in the entire scheme. But in all likelihood, it was a revenge killing by someone who was mistreated by the priest. As of today, the murder of Rivera and Kerrigan's missing person case remains open. It appears that beyond its breathtaking countryside, sweeping plains, and gorgeous mountain ranges, Montana harbors some of the most disturbing unsolved cases that could prompt some of us to be wary of visiting the so-called treasure state. I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode, and thank you so much for tuning in and the continued support. If you guys have any topics you want me to cover, please just hit me up in the comments. I appreciate it. I'll see you all soon.